0: Good morning, everyone. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. Perfect. Hi, everyone. I'm Donovan Brown, Principal DevOps Manager here at Microsoft, and today I have my guest is Manil. Manil, introduce yourself to everyone. Hi, everybody.
1: My name is Munil Shah. I'm a Director of Engineering in the Visual Studio Team Services team.
0: Perfect. And I'm really excited to have you here because I do a lot of our transformation talk where yeah. we tell about how we here at Microsoft and the Visual Studio Team Services team are migrating ourselves to this new DevOps mindset. And I've had a lot of higher level conversations, but when I kept wanting to dig deeper, they said, you were the guy who could actually explain okay, to me I, I <laughs> <bet>. <laughs> how we could actually start to do this. Now, I, I tell the story about how we do a ring deployment, where we yeah. deploy to different rings. And from what I understand, those rings are made up of scale units. So before mm-hmm. we get too technical, can you please define for me what a scale unit is and what a ring is and how those apply to our deployment?
1: Yeah. So, uh, scale unit at a most fundamental level is just a unit of uh, scale because we have uh, hundreds of thousands of accounts uh, on our service. A scale unit is a multi-tenancy, um, uh, you know, collection of uh, accounts uh, in a particular data center. Okay. And uh, it it uh, you know uh, a scale unit has uh, let's say a few hundred thousand of accounts, and then once we achieve that scale, we stamp out another scale unit. And so in each so, that's how we get presence across the, across the globe, and we have uh, scale units that spread out uh, across the globe. There are some in US, some in Europe, some in mm-hmm. Asia, uh, and it, uh, we, we place the scale unit close to where the customers are, so they get you know, great performance. Uh, but it also allows us to uh, get this uh, you know, horizontal scale on, on the product.
0: Got it. So, a scale unit sounds like we build or we reserve resources in Azure, because Visual Studio Team Services runs in Azure, and based on the, I guess the VMs we're using, I, I, I believe we're not using PaaS, we're not using IaaS, we're using cloud services.
1: We use PaaS. We have ATs and we have uh, uh, JAs. Okay. Um, and a, each uh, scale unit will have, uh, um, you know, a, a, a minimum of three uh, AETs and and two JAs. Okay. But. So some of our scale units are pretty big and they can have multiple, you know, 10, 15 uh, ATs and multiple JAs. And that just depends on the size of those. Uh, so, what are location.
0: they? Are, you're using some acronyms there. So, explain the acronyms for us that don't know what the um, acronyms
1: are. ATs are application tiers, right? and JAs are the job schedulers. Exactly.
0: Yes. So, there's also a database behind all this right. stuff, and too. We so, use so we're using SQL Azure uh, for database. So, each, does each scale unit have their own
1: database that Correct. matches it, right? So, Correct. I'm going to have all these. Each scale unit has. Database is for the customers. Okay. Uh, so if you have in a given scale unit, if you have let's say 100,000 uh, customers, then they're packed inside a set of uh, SQL Azure databases.
0: Right, so I have a SQL Azure database that supports my jobs, that also supports my application tiers. And my application tiers are running in cloud services. Right. Right. So, and that defines a scale unit yes. and they usually have the capacity of a hundred thousand
1: yeah i mean it, it varies so in some cases we have a scale unit dedicated to a particular region so let's say we have a scale unit for brazil okay um so it you know depending on the uh, number of accounts we have available in in brazil uh, that scale unit will have that many accounts in some you know region like u.s where we have lots and lots of account we we have scale units invest uh, region we have scale units in each region just for performance sake we we have scale units in multiple right uh, data centers and regions. and as we
0: get more customers and we start to tax a particular scale unit we would stamp out Correct. another scale unit and start putting new customers Correct. there right so that's a scale unit it is the resources that we have in azure that host a collection of customers Correct. on visual studio team services right. and i would assume that we deploy to those scale units not all at once but through yeah, so a we, mechanism we
1: we follow what we call safe deployment practices okay. so it's just a way of uh, controlling uh, risk um, in a live site environment, because uh, any change that we deploy to live site has the potential to cause some uh, disruption. Of course, you know we would like uh, all changes to flow smoothly, uh, but we are deploying changes all the time, um, sometimes multiple um, uh, changes per week. And so we want to do it in a very safe manner. And one of the ways we do it is this practice called safe deployment uh, uh, practice. And what it is is that, we look at our envi- entire environment of, uh, let's say, a you know, couple dozen scale units, and we group them into rings. And these rings are, um, uh, you know, think of them as uh, progressively, uh, you know, the, the rings get progressively bigger. You know. okay. So we start with what we call ring zero. Ring zero is, um, is where we are our scale unit zero is. And scale unit zero is our own team. So the Visual Studio Team Services, running in the Cloud uh, on the same VSTS service is uh, housed in scale unit zero, and that's part of our ring zero. So, we deploy to a uh, scale unit zero or ring zero first, and our team get to experience the new change uh, first, and if there is a problem, we would notice, we are the first ones to notice. Absolutely. Um, once that looks good, um, and we, we live the new change on a sort of major deployment, we live it there for, for a, day, um, and we, a day or two and we observe it, and then we go to uh, Ring 1. Ring 1 typically is a small scale unit. Uh, so it's, you know, again, the change is not exposed to a very large set of customers. So we'll pick a small scale unit, let's say Brazil, um, and we deploy it there. And we observe um, how that change is doing. We, we have lots and lots of telemetry uh, mm-hmm. you know, that we collect on the product. So we get a lot of insights just by looking at and monitoring the telemetry, but we can also keep an eye on sort of any um, uh, feedback we may be getting from customers. Once we feel good enough uh, with that uh, uh, um, ring, then we go to a next ring, uh, this uh, ring 2, uh, where ring 2 is one of our larger scale units, it uh, happens to be one in, in US, so now we've gone from our own scale unit, ring 0, to a small uh, uh, scale unit in ring 1, to a large scale unit in ring 2. Okay. Um, and once we feel good about that, then we are now starting to roll the change out to a multiple scale units at the same time. So now ring 3 and ring 4 have multiple scale units. Gotcha. And so that is how a change will progress through uh, our, mm, you know, uh, our live site environments. So it could take a change Um, You know, if it's a small chain like a hotfix, it it could go through these rings fairly quickly, you know, within a few hours. But if it's our major uh, sprint deployment, a change can take uh, more than a week to go through our entire environment. Interesting. So that's why when, when we come out and say, if this uh, sprint release, we have these features. Not all features are available to the uh, customers at the same time because the change, those changes are getting uh, rolled out in a progressive manner.
0: All right. Great. So you, you, mentioned, you said a couple of things things that were quite interesting. First is, ring zero maps to a single scale unit, Correct. ring two maps to a single scale ring unit. Ring one maps to a
1: single scale unit. Yeah. Single so zero, two?
0: one, and two. Correct. But beyond that, there's multiple scale units in each ring. Correct. How do you decide how many scale units are in each ring?
1: Um, I think we we are we are very thoughtful about this first three uh, rings. You know, there there the philosophy is the first scale unit meaning our canary uh, scale yes. unit that is our own scale unit. Um, then we wanted the next scale unit to contain just one sorry neck ring to contain just one scale unit that's small enough um, so that we can again outside of our own team environment because remember our team MSN is a is a special case. Yes. You know, so we want to see how the change um, deploys to a real customer scale unit. So that's how we picked a small scale unit in ring one. Ring two is now we, are, uh, we, we build up enough confidence to take uh, risk into a bigger scale unit. So that's how we deploy to scale unit one. At this point, we have built enough confidence that we feel like this change can go out much faster. So that's why we start to group more scale units in the, in the, the next set of rings. Ring three is where we have some of our big accounts, um, internal big accounts in Microsoft, because you know VSTS is heavily used inside Microsoft. So we have like our Azure team and the DevDev Dev team and you know, m- number of big teams on in that scale unit three, as well as some of the external scale units. And the ring four is pretty much uh, 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 all of the above. So are we are we are, we're four units now? Is that having four
0: rings? Is that how many rings we, we have, have today? Four rings, yeah. We have four rings today that encompass all of the scale units. So by the time that feature gets to scale, to ring four, it is now in the hands of everyone. Correct. All right, now you mentioned that could take as long as a week yes. to happen, because it bakes for 24 hours in each ring. Yes. So we'll deploy it into ring zero, all the Visual Studio Team Services team will get it, it will sit there for 24 hours while we do our daily work inside of it, yeah. and should something bad happen, then we would, only, we would be the only ones affected. Correct. And then you would be able to then send out a hot fix for that, and then we would just start it over again, right? Um, that deployment would go out correct. and sit for 24 hours, right? And then if it worked, then we'd send it to Brazil. Yeah. So where are we? Do we do any performance testing before we start deploying it, or do we get our performance metrics as it starts to progress through the ring? It's
1: a little bit of both. So okay. what we do is um, for specific feature where we are um, we have very specific uh, performance goals. So let's take you know GBFS uh, you know as an example where GBFS. When we rolled out, we had very specific uh, performance goals in mind. Okay. So uh, we did quite a bit of uh, internal performance testing to see where we are with uh, related to those goals, and uh, so that happens um, before the change is uh, pushed out to production. So, do we
0: have scale units in? Oh, for, first of all, GFS is the Git file system yeah, for those yeah. who don't yeah, know. Yeah. We're, we're really bad at acronyms yeah. here, so I just want to make sure. So, the Git file system was designed so that we could have not binary help but just large numbers of files for office and for Windows and things like that right so great so the whole point of that file system was to be fast because if you use normal Git on Windows it was unusably slow so when you wanted to do performance testing of that feature before it started to roll out do we have scale units that are just for performance testing
1: yeah that's a good good point so we have this thing called go big environment and go big environment is a production-like environment, but it's uh, it's an internal environment with synthetic accounts and uh, large number of accounts. So we can, and we in fact we do every uh, new sprint deployment goes through a bo- Gobig environment where we run uh, a set of performance tests and we we collect a lot of metrics and we you know observe uh, metrics along with sort of just the event log and um, uh, y- y- you know various uh, telemetry that we've collected to see if there are any. Uh, performance as well as any functionality issues uh, resulting from just running uh, service at high scale. But philosophically, what we have uh, observed is that over time, we are starting to rely more and more on what we learn from the production telemetry. Because there is nothing like production. Nothing. We, can, we can build a very um, production-like uh, internal environment, but there is no way we can simulate this, the load that we see in real environment. And this is where the safe deployment practices come into play because, uh, again, because as the change is rolling out through uh, different sized scale units, we are able to collect telemetry uh, in real time and, um, in, and able to kind of uh, uh, synthesize the, the, uh, how the performance uh, of the service is doing and, and take actions based on that. What we have is for you know for entire product we have instrumented uh, performance metrics so we okay. for each scenarios let's say open a work item or uh, create a pull request you know we have um, uh, what we call uh, ci events or customer intelligence event that collects a performance metric from the uh, the the web browser perspective and we can observe how that um, scenario is performing in production and we measure that against the SLAs that we've created for each scenario. So, we, we define 50th percentile SLA, 80th percentile SLA that each scenario needs to complete within you know, three seconds, you know, things like that, okay. and through the performance uh, telemetry that we're collecting from production, and um, you know, observing how it does compared to the SLA, we are able to measure how the service is doing okay. um, performance-wise in real production.
0: Great. So, I've spoken to Aaron several times on a concept that we use called feature flags. Yes. Now, we just talked about safe deployment. We now understand what a scale unit is, and we understand that we deploy code through rings. But once the code gets to ring four, does that mean all the features are lit up? No, not
1: necessarily. Okay. Um, many of the features do get lit up that way. But there are some features where we have concern about uh, whether we've got the right user experience or not, and we want to collect a lot more feedback from customer. So there is a completely independent practice from safe deployment practice called, uh, we call it early adopter program or, or stage model. Okay. Essentially, it's a way to manage exposure control of the feature, um, uh, of a new feature. So if you let's say, introducing a brand new pull request experience, and uh, you know, we, we believe we've got it right, but we want to collect feedback before we actually blast it to all the customers. So uh, while the change is completely deployed, it could be that the feature is completely turned off at that point. Okay. And then we progressively turn the feature on using uh, this uh, technique called feature flag. So that feature is coded in a way that can only light up if a particular flag is turned on for yep. a specific account. So what we will do is we will turn that Feature uh, flag on for again our SU zero uh, account, which is our own team account first, and I'll let our team use that experience first. And this one we can stay in that feature flag on mode for m- multiple days. It doesn't have to be just the 24 hours. Okay. Uh, as long as we uh, you know uh, we are getting feedback and we feel like you know I think we have achieved uh, um, uh, sort of uh, optimal experience, then we can turn it on for the next stage. And in the next stage we typically have are some of our closest customers, if you will, or more or what I would call them, some of our most forgiving customers, yeah. who are like our MVPs or our friendlies. Uh, peop- uh, friendlies, yeah. yeah, and they yeah. they they get to experience the f- uh, that uh, new feature or new experience and give us uh, you know uh, feedback. Okay. Um. Once we feel comfortable with that, then we turn on the feature for optionally for what we call stage two. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry about that. That's I should right. have turned that off. <laughs> um, no problem. So in stage two, we'll typically have. Um, a set of customers who have been anxiously waiting for a new feature okay. uh, that they have previously asked. And so we know that uh, if we turn on this new feature for these customers, they'll be eager to try it and give us feedback. So that will be our stage two. And once uh, we feel comfortable with that stage, that's when we turn it on, turn it on for all customer, which is in stage three. Okay. So uh, this is just a way of um, you know rolling out a new feature, collecting feedback, iterating on the Feedback and making the feature better. Gotcha. Um, sometimes we do a third level of exposure control. I know this terminology gets uh, really confusing, but it's all about managing risk and uh, iterating on a feature based on feedback. So okay. uh, occasionally, what we would do is uh, um, we will have the feature uh, turned on, um, meaning deployed to all scale units and all accounts, but there is a notion of a preview of flag. If you go to our View Studio uh, settings, you, know, yep. you can. Uh, personally, you can go and opt in and opt out of a feature. Correct. So that's just a, another way of. Uh, uh, so if there is a even so, when we do use this technique, is where there is a, a fairly um, uh, not disruptive but fairly new experience that we are introducing, um, then we would put that feature behind a preview flag. So. While it's completely deployed and available to all accounts, it's not on by default. Correct. Where you have to go uh, into the uh, your profile setting and manually turn it on, and by manually turning it on, you are opting to use that feature uh, in this new way and give us feedback. And then once we feel like you know everybody's satisfied with that new feature and it's kind of working well, then we make that uh, when we switch the default and make that uh, on by default. So
0: is that like two different feature flags? Then there's a flag that says make sure that it's been deployed and if they wanted to see it, they could see it. That's one flag. and Then there's another flag saying, I actually want to see it. So, is that implemented yeah, yeah, as two it, flags in our code it, as well?
1: It's the the preview flag, the preview notion is not done through a feature flag, oh, okay. that's just a completely different mechanism. Okay. But the feature flag is a, so think about it this way, feature flag is a, Uh, on-off switch that we control for customers and the preview is an on-off switch that customer controls for themselves. Right. The individual user can control it for themselves.
0: Correct. But if I turn that feature flag off, the one that we control, then that preview would disappear altogether. Got it. So, I also noticed that the telemetry that you get when you use preview is if I previewed it and I turn it off, Right? That's information that I wouldn't get if it was just a feature flag without preview because you're forced to use it because we've turned it on for your particular stage and even if you hated it, you're just going to have to grin and bear it. Yeah. And I've noticed that when we realize that people turn on a feature and then turn it back off, that's valuable information. They oh, that's super didn't valuable. Like yeah. In
1: fact, what we do is that we use that to guide uh, a decision whether that feature is ready for uh, on by default. Because um, I'm trying to remember which feature, I think it was the new build UI when we rolled out, we would then go back and frequently check how many people opted in and then how many people opted out. Because an opt-out is a, is, is a decision that customer made, and that is telling us uh, something about it that right. you know, maybe, perhaps they didn't quite like that experience a, a whole lot. So, exactly. I think that's a very important data point to collect. All
0: right. So, we, have, so we know we have four rings, yeah. It sounds like we have three stages.
1: We have let's see, stage zero, one, two, and three. Because right, two is optional, so actually four stages. Four two. stages starting from yeah.
0: GRI, and we also have a ring zero. there and is five a, rings there. There is a
1: in, yeah five rings. Uh, technically, there is a ring four A uh, also, but uh, you know it's it's an internal ring dedicated to our Windows customers, mm-hmm. our Windows mm-hmm. division, because it's so large and it is running on this uh, special um uh database that is not SQL Azure because it's so big gotcha. um, and so we deploy to that scale unit the the last so why is it 4a and not five uh, because yeah that's a good question uh, <laughs> I, <I'm, laughs> yeah I, I think it, 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 it just so happens that we deploy to both ring 4 and ring 4a at the same time so there is no delay uh, l- unlike if, if it was Ring 5, then there would be a delay from Ring 4 to Ring 5. I These see. are two rings that we deploy at the same time, Ring 4 and Ring 4A, gotcha. uh, but they happen to have a two. Right.
0: Four. So, 4A has a single scale unit in it? Yeah. Yeah, but 4 has multiple scale units. Yeah, lots it. of Yeah, it makes it a little bit different too. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, maybe it's the timing that shows yeah. that particular one. Now, well, something else that you said that was interesting, and we kind of hit on it again, was how fast stuff gets deployed. Mm-hmm. If you're doing a normal three-week sprint deployment, it sits in things for 24 hours before it moves on but a hotfix you said doesn't do that yeah right so are those two separate pipelines how does how does the change know if it should go faster if it should go slow and what is going fast look like what does that mean is it is there no testing is there how does it how do we yeah. decide that
1: no, that's a great question so um, everything anything that we put out in production goes through fairly rigorous testing. So one of the things that we've done over the last uh, couple of years is that we have um, completely transformed our test infrastructure. Okay. And um, we took um, the tests that we had, it, that were developed over many decades, uh, or, or, or over a decade, um, for our on-prem product, okay. and where we had the luxury of testing for days, if you will, or for hours, uh, in this new world where we are deploying you know at a pretty fast uh, 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 cadence, we had to retool our testing. So um, in the last two years, we've gone through this exercise of converting our, uh, all the old tests or and rebuilding them in this new framework, L0, L1, L2, and L0, L1s are think of them as unit tests. So what we've done is, shifted away from um, This big monolithic end-to-end test that used to take a really long time and they were uh, very um, They were they were not as reliable um, like because they'll be flaky there'll be errors and we moved them to A lot more of these unit tests that are that run really fast They are uh, very reliable and we we run close to 50,000 unit tests uh, just in our uh, CI process so by the time a fix comes out of, uh, change comes out um, uh, out of the build process, it's already gone through pretty uh, significant amount of testing. Um, So even within HotFix deployment, we are able to, yeah, we may not run all our tests, but we are able to run pretty good number of our tests. And even a uh, HotFix goes through, a fairly rigorous uh, CI um, uh, test cycle. So it goes through pull requests and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I know so, our pull
0: request runs over forty-one thousand unit tests just in a PR. Exactly. Right. Yeah.
1: And then after PR, we do the uh, we produce the build, an you know, official build, and then we run another battery of test. And okay. Um, and, and that covers a fairly um, nice uh, area of the. You product. said
0: you've been porting some of your, the unit tests to a new architecture of unit tests. Did it also change require you to change the architecture of the application? to be able to be more thoroughly and safely tested with unit tests versus integration tests. Because it sounded like what you were doing before, these end-to-end tests, that's integration testing. And yeah. it becomes flaky because there's so many external dependencies all right. in different stages that when I recorded my test, I had one assumption, that assumption is no longer true, so the test may pass or fail yeah. at no fault of the code. So you said we wanted to shift away from that to more unit testing, but not all code that was written a decade ago is really ready to be unit tested. So, did you have to change the application? Yeah, as we well? did have
1: to. We did have to change the core framework that we okay. have test framework that we had used uh, in the past um, to support the this new L zero L one. Yeah, but did you test. also
0: have to change the actual application being tested? Is what I was. Um,
1: wondering. not 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 a whole lot. Okay. Not, yeah, okay yeah. Great. I, I mean, we do have some uh, what we call our on-prem tests that are still. Uh, written in the old framework and okay. that we've not managed to convert. But okay. by and large, most of our tests have been converted.
0: Here. Got it. So, even so a hotfix is that a separate? Because we, we dog food here. So, release management is used to deploy okay, absolutely, VSTS, yeah. right? Yeah. And I always joke. So we that have a
1: template for deploying a dog food and we have a template for deploying our main um, uh, sprintly deployment. And, okay. Um, so, you, you know, you ask the question how many hours does it take to get an hotfix out? And, Hotfix, uh, you know, g- goes through this four rings, you know, fairly rapid uh, session. So, if if it gets deployed to S zero, um, you know, within the next hour, it gets deployed to S0, um, ring, ring one, then ring two, ring three, and ring four. So I think within five to six hours, it, uh, a hotfix can get deployed all the way out. There. And the
0: deployed and the, the time in between each ring is that controlled by a human or is that automated?
1: No, it's 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 part of the um, the release management template that we have. So, so it's uh, it's not. Uh, uh, we can always override that, but they, by default, it follows a particular sequence. Right.
0: So, I'm, what I'm asking is, is that is there a human inter- is there a human being that gets sent a notification to approve after 24 hours, or does it automatically after 24 hours no, go to autom- the next it ring?
1: Automatically goes up.
0: Got twice. it. Yeah. Got it. So then, my question, and again, one more time, uh, if we have a path that says every 24 hours go to the next ring, do we have a separate path that says every hour go to the next ring, which is for hot fixes? Is that how we do that? Yes. All right. Yeah. So there's two different release pipelines. Yeah. Got it. One for hot fixes, and the only difference between those is the amount of delay between one ring Correct. deployment to the other ring deployment. Okay. Great. So we've talked about scale units, safe deployment, rings, and stages, which is which is amazing. So when we're when we're moving through those rings, though, there's several different types of changes that are being deployed. There's database changes. There's there's binary changes. Which order do we deploy when there is a, let's assume we have a change that's going to change our binaries and the schema of our database. Mm -hmm. Which one gets deployed first, the schema or the binaries? We
1: deploy the binaries first and uh, that binary change has to work with both the old schema and the new schema. So what we call, um, uh, that's an ATDT compact uh, mode and uh, what we do is when we deploy to our first scale unit, scale unit zero, we we deploy just the binaries and then we wait for 24 hours. So, that allows us to um, make sure that the new binaries are uh, are working well with the old schema. Um, and, and so, th- it's designed to work with that ATDT compat mode. So, um, what's, what's that acronym? Oh yeah, sorry, uh, application tier and the data tier. So, okay. th- uh, we want to make sure that the um, Binaries and the, data, the the schemas they work well work together. Perfect. In a com- backward compatible manner. Okay. And then we deploy the the database change. Once we've made the database change, we so, so we cannot roll back. And we, before that, the if there is an issue with the binary, we have the ability to roll back. But gotcha. Once we have deployed the the databases, we don't roll back.
0: Got it. So we deploy out the app tier, and we let it sit to make sure that we don't have any assumptions over the shape of the data. That it understands the old schema and it still functions as it should against the old schema. And then we use it to make sure. And if it doesn't perform correctly, then we can just basically put the old binaries back, no harm, no foul, we'll go make a change, produce new binaries and try it again. And then we're like, okay great, the new binaries are out there. Now interesting thing is that those new binaries clearly have new functionality, new features in them, but none of those features light up because they're still running against the schema that doesn't support that particular feature and then once we're safe with that, we then deploy a new database. Now, we don't take the system offline, No. right? It has to be able to be deployed while it's running. So, once the new database is deployed, that's when we know, okay, there's no going back, we're yeah. past the event horizon, but do the new features just start lighting up because the new database is out there or are they still behind the flags that we have to turn on?
1: So, if a feature is behind a flag, then obviously it doesn't light sure. up, but uh, otherwise it will light up. Not all be. features are behind the f- behind feature flags. We. We choose which features we want to um, hide behind feature flags. Again, okay. it has to it has a to do with um, you know how we feel about the feature, the risk, and and how much feedback we want to collect from the c- customers. If there are, uh, let's say, uh, I'm making a, a performance improvement of a. Of a particular feature, there is no reason to put that feature behind a feature flag because who's not gonna like a performance improvement? So gotcha. uh, those those type of features they just get rolled out. Right, right, okay. But got if you are making a UI change, like I said, if you're introducing a new pull request, then you want to hide it behind a feature flag and then progressively disclose it because you want to collect feedback you know tweak it a little bit and once you are fully satisfied that's when you want to make it available to
0: all the right. customers all right good. because i remember cuz cuz Aaron has told me like all new features go behind feature flags but a performance improvement isn't a new feature really right it's, yeah. so what i think is the safer say is all new features are behind feature flags but all code changes are not behind a feature oh, flag absolutely. Yeah. all right great yeah i think that yeah okay great so that now everyone's we're consistent again so we how are we managing the database schema changes though right there's there's partners of ours like Redgate who have tools for that we have ssdt internally that would work against uh sql azure we have code first migrations so
1: I, I so my question is we have a schema change how in the world are we running we have uh, for we have our own uh servicing stack it's a it's, it's a proprietary okay um, servicing engine that we we wrote and you know we wrote this uh, when we were doing the on-prem tfs oh, okay uh, Uh, and that's that's what we use today. Continue to use but we
0: now use it in an automated fashion as part of our pipeline that will go out and make the database change so we're doing the binaries first so what happens when we have not only a schema change but the shape of the data has to be changed so we've added a new column that is now maybe the aggregate of two other columns we want to delete how do we allow the data because I mean we're talking enormous volumes of data this isn't something that happens instantly these are transformations of data that could take Hours or days. Correct. How do we deal with that type of changes? The servicing model will deal with all that. Yeah, servicing as
1: well? model will deal with that. Typically, uh, it does uh, by uh, service host at a time. So think of it like it, it makes the uh, schema change per, per account, and it, sometimes oh, these changes uh, can last a couple of hours. Okay. And we do when we have a big uh, schema change like that. We, you know, uh, again we use that go big environment to mm-hmm. make sure that uh, we can estimate how long it's going to take in the production. Gotcha. Uh, because we don't want a, a servicing change to, you know, be be blind to how long it's going to take in production. Because sometimes a servicing change, if you know, if it's not done right, uh, can take more than a day or two. Sure. Um, and obviously, we have optimized our servicing engine uh, tremendously over the time to be able to do this kind of uh, schema changes uh, very efficiently. I think there have been only a couple of occasions that I can recall where we had to take a, an actual maintenance window to do. S- uh, schema uh, change because it was fairly significant schema change but uh, that was probably a couple of years ago the gotcha. last time we did it and again that was for only a few minutes that we had to take a maintenance window but otherwise we are able to do most of our schema updates just online and within within few hours after, uh, after each deployment
0: Ah, uh, interesting and I also noticed that when we describe the way that we do the databases and the binaries the order is very interesting because you say we lay down the binaries first we make sure the binaries work against both uh, current and future, and then we deploy the database, and then we're done. You could also go the other way, right? You could literally do your database changes first, not the binaries, and then make sure that your future version of your of your binaries, right? Because you're doing
1: the database. If you deploy yeah, you, if you deploy binaries first, then remember your old binaries have to work with the with the new schema, and sometimes you made schema changes. Um, in a way that you know the old binaries cannot understand so that's why to to kind of keep our world more sane you know uh, this is the order we have right because if you do the
0: database the, if you do it the other way and you do your database first and your database schema has to support your current code and, and your the, future code. Right. And it sounds like you've just said, it's easier for us to change our binaries Correct. code faster than it is for us to go change stored procedures or tables. Because yeah. when you do the database first.
1: In fact, in, a, in, in uh, imagine a world where, and in fact we are going to uh, go to that uh, uh, place where uh, we may make binary changes a lot more frequently, in sure. fact, almost every single day. Sure. But the schema changes we may do only very on infrequently. a sprint, sprint boundary. So that's another reason why we operate this way, and um, where mo- many features don't require schema changes. For sure. Um, For sure. You, you know, uh, schema changes are not that common. Sure. So that's why we want to be able to operate in a world where you can update binaries very, very frequently and roll out new features. But uh, schema changes is, is more of a, um, you know, kind of a roll forward uh, um, point where you cannot go back. Right.
0: That. It also allows you to do, make more drastic changes to your schema in one step. Because if you deploy your database first and it has to support the old one and the new one and you want to drop a column, you can't drop that column just in case you roll your binaries back. Right. That column still better be there. Correct. And then, you, so you have to then, if you want to delete a column, it takes two deployments to do that. Because not until time plus two yeah. could you roll back and still not need that column. Okay. So I, I understand now why you've chosen it. You can do either way, it just depends on which one is easier Better. for you to actually be able to change. So uh, the only other thing that we ta- that I was thinking about is not only do we do the database, but you also do things like s- the versions of APIs and things like that. Th- those have to be deployed out into the environment as well. How do we deal with some of the the APIs and multiple versions of APIs and, and From what I understand, if I'm writing an API that relies on the next version of you, I can still be deployed sooner than you. Is that
1: true? Uh, What I'm saying is
0: that here I am, I I have an API version 1.0, and I want to deploy version 2.0 that also relies on your version 2.0, but you're still at version 1.0. I can still be deployed with all my 2.0 functionality and everything is still going to work. And then once you become 2.0, then I just start magically start using that 2.0. It's almost like the same same architecture. I'm assuming you're using for the database, right?
1: You're talking about service to service. Yes. Yeah. Um, So yeah, there we use the the API um, uh, versioning to negotiate which API you're using when you're talking to the um, other service. And uh, yeah, I mean, because you cannot assume that all services are deployed at the same time uh, on and and so. you know, as we are adding more features, we are, some of the new features that we are adding, we are adding them through microservices, so they are not just part of the main TFS service, and these services can get deployed um, in, in, a, in different order. I mean, they're not all deployed at the same time. So if you're doing a service-to-service call, and you're uh, expecting a specific API uh, version uh, on the other, other end, you do need to, uh, you know, um, negotiate, negotiate that. that uh, right. So that our code is basically
0: well. saying, I would like you to be at version three. You're right. not. Okay. Then I'm going to downgrade right. gracefully to version two. Right. You're there. I'm going to keep using that. And then on the next session, then they can go back and say, Hey, are you up at, at three yet? Right. And then start to use that information. Right. All right. Great. So um, this is, is like it's fascinating. Some of the stuff that we do. I don't think people understand just how complicated yeah. a deployment like this actually is to as many scale units and to as many rings that we're actually maintaining. So I really appreciate you taking the time yeah. and shedding the light on that. Of
1: course, yeah, thanks for the opportunity. I Sorry if I threw in a lot of different uh, uh, acronyms, you know, they, part of, they become part of our our vernacular, vocabulary. exactly, <laughs> exactly.
0: But I think I double clicked on most of those. If someone watching the show, uh, we said an acronym we didn't explain, just leave us a comment, we'll definitely go back in and explain that. But again, when you're talking about a large scale live site application like ours, it's, it's really important to know how do we deal with the deployments on a system that can never go down? And yeah. I remember Brian Harry showed that with me. He's like, never, ever, ever can we take this system oh, down. We have yeah. to deploy it while it's live. One of
1: the, the interesting thing is that uh, the safe deployment practice that I, I talked about, this rings, is actually a practice that's used across all of the Azure services inside our cloud and enterprise division. So, okay. um, the nice thing is that um, all our major Azure services are following very similar practices uh, okay. and, and so you get some sort of a consistency. Uh, for example, our scale unit 0, uh, where our own mm-hmm. uh, uh, instances, all services have scale unit zero and they are all housed in the same data center. So uh, again, if what it does is that if there is a, a, a let's say new version of compute being rolled out, um, and us going through the same uh, safe deployment practices compute, we're able to take advantage of the changes that are happening in a particular uh, manner in the compute uh, and not cause sort of this mishmash of uh, how the changes get rolled out to customers. uh, Awesome.
0: Another, I, I'm probably gonna have to have you back because uh, we've gone a long time and I'm sure people are gonna be taxed, but I'd love to talk to you about live site incidents Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and how we deal with that, how we identify when is even happening, how to identify who has to get paged and get yes. on the bridge. So uh, we're, we're gonna go ahead and pause now. We're gonna be done with this video, but in the future, we're gonna have Manil back and, and blow Sounds your good. mind on that. Thank you so much for watching everyone. All right, thank you. It was awesome. Yeah, all thank right, you, thank you. you so much.
1: Yeah, of course.